Hey y'all, this is Christina, and I am here in the chat room, so to speak, waiting for Lauren. I'm a little early, I always show up early to everything, and it's because I have anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety today, which is why I wanted to start recording instead of just sitting awkwardly. Maybe I'll keep this, maybe I won't, but... I'm here. Um, I think one reason I'm feeling anxious is because I don't have any more pods for my vape and I'm like almost done with this one and I'm worried that it'll run out in the middle of recording. And then what'll I do? You know, what, what kind of a position would that leave me in? Anxious and vapeless in my office. Actually, this is a really beautiful office. I guess I can just describe it while we're waiting for Lauren. It's pretty small, it's like 50 square feet, and it has one brick wall facing the parking lot with a window in the middle, and then another regular wall to the left of that facing this busy tree-lined street, which is why y'all always get background noise when I record here. Also, there's a laundry room underneath me. Fun fact, oh, here's Lauren. Hello? Hello. (laughs) Hi. I was feeling nervous for no reason, and so I just started talking to the listeners. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Come on in. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Grab a seat by the window. I was just telling the listeners about the view outside my window. Oh, um, there's no windows near where I record, so I would just have to, like, scream at you from across the room. (laughs) (laughs) What are we even talking about? Hey, how's it going? (laughs) Hey! <laughs> are you are you ready to get into the show? Or do you need a little yeah. warming up first? Uh, no, I, I'm good. Uh, you know, just like through all of uh, the shit that Meatball's trying to tear apart into the other room. So hopefully he stays there and makes his noise. I wish I could be that entertained by a piece of cardboard. The thrill in his eyes where he was like, cardboard. <laughs> when my sister Caroline and I were like seven and eight or something maybe so six and eight were two years apart but um we made this entire dollhouse out of construction paper and it was like a really elaborate dollhouse like five stories high and we kept adding on wings to it and the catalyst for this was do you did you ever go to like cracker barrel when you were a kid yeah they have the gift shop there with all the old-timey toys and they have a lot of paper dolls books like paper doll (gasps) books And they had this one paper doll book that was a Victorian cat family. And it was like really heavy cardstock. So you cut them out and they were very durable. And you had all these outfits for them, like really high quality, gorgeous, detailed illustrations. And so my sister and I weren't just content having the cats with their myriad of outfits. We had to build them a house. (laughs) And this house ended up taking up like half a room and I still don't know what happened to it. I think we tried storing it under the bed because our mom got fed up with it. And then I don't know, it probably got thrown away. I think about it a lot sometimes. It bugs me. Tangent. It was funny when you said that because I I did know Cracker Barrel, but like when you were talking about old timey toys, the first thing I thought of is there was this little touristy town that was about half an hour away from where I grew up. But what one of the, the stores there Every time that we went to this town, that was, you know, my, my big moment is I got to get another thing of old time paper dolls. I had so many of those. Did you ever make your own? I, I don't know. I did a lot with paper dolls. 
Paper dolls are the best. <laughs> now, if you go to a Cracker Barrel gift shop, um, which the only reason I've gone in recent years is because my parents took us when my brother came to town. Mm-hmm. They have like Webkins. Those are the old timey toys now. Webkins. You probably oh. don't even know what Webkins are, do you? It sounds familiar, but I mean, it's not, that's not old, is it? It's not old. It's like kids in the 2000s like, were playing with them. They're that's online. That's what I was thinking. I was like, is, isn't that something I don't really know because I was kind of done playing with toys when they came out? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Anyway, we haven't even introduced ourselves or this podcast. Everyone who signed in okay. is probably gone by now. Whatever, you know what? Unless you really like old-time paper dolls. Um, hello, friends. Hello. And welcome to Pickles and Vodka, the mental health podcast, not paper doll podcast, uh, (laughs) where imperfect people have imperfect conversations. And I'm Christina. About toys. Toys. (laughs) Lauren. Not a sex podcast either. Just uh, a podcast where we're two fucked up millennials. Are you a millennial? I'm in, I'm an in between. Elder millennial. A zenial. (laughs) What the fuck is a zenial? That's between millennial and Gen X. Like there's this little section of, I don't know, maybe like four or five years. Where two fucked up old ladies with lots of mental health issues talk about their lives and try to make connections in this cold internet (laughs) world. Yes. Yes. Uh, And today we're talking about a topic that Lauren has chosen. How long have you been preparing for this one? <laughs> um, I started about, I think I got the idea two weeks ago, and then pretty much did all of my prep work up till last week, and then haven't looked at it in a week. All right. <laughs> so, I just literally so showed up all, today. Hey, where are you at? Me? Are you at? Where am I at? Um, yeah. I mean, okay, so I, like I talked about in the last episode, I have Wednesdays off now. Um, yeah. And... The reason that I asked for Wednesdays off is because my mental health has been really bad and I felt like I didn't have any time or energy to deal with it. And that mm-hmm. kind of leads me into this week where I, I just had my first week with Wednesdays off and it was amazing. But it kind of made me slow down and realize that like I'm, I'm still kind of struggling in my recovery. Like recovery has been really hard lately. And I think mm-hmm. I have kind of been skirting around the fact that I haven't really been working at my recovery. I've just kind of taken for granted that I don't like binge or purge every day or I don't abuse substances anymore. You know, it's just like I take it for granted. Yeah, and it's, so <laughs> It's better than where I've been, but that doesn't mean. <laughs> exactly. And that I see this happen time and time again with people I've read about online or people I've known personally or even in my own life this has happened where I just kind of let my guard down and stop working at Mm -hmm. it and then one slip is all it takes (laughs) unfortunately yeah (laughs) and so I have that realization but kind of like we talked about last week nothing really helps right now I know that I need to be working at it, but I feel like the toolkit that I have right now is just like a child's kit you pick up from the Dollar Tree that's like plastic Mm -hmm. and (laughs) I mean it's a toy set you said we're talking about toys on this episode let's keep with the theme I feel like I feel like my mental health toolbox is like a toy set and I can like pretend to go through the motions and like you know sort of I don't know what I'm trying to say I've just been kind of slipping in my recovery and it's shows like I've been 
binging a lot, not like really binging, like going out to the store and buying food or, you know, just with the express purpose of binging, but I've been eating mindlessly. Let's, let's call it that. I've been doing a lot of mindless eating lately and it's fine. Like if anything, I can probably stand or gain weight right now. Like I haven't been doing any eating disorder recovery work. I haven't really been focusing on nutrition, which I should, which is why this is happening Mm -hmm. because, you know, (laughs) it's like when you don't get enough nutrition, you end up overeating or whatever that means to you. Yeah. That's supposedly how bodies work. Yeah. It's probably like, it'll cancel itself out, but it's just making me realize that I am really uncomfortable with that. Yeah. And I've, that's, you reminded me, that's something that I've tried to get better at because when I was younger, of course, anything that felt like a binge immediately, I had to just like tear myself down and be like, Oh, okay. You're, you're doing this and it's terrible. And you know, once someone kind of like brought the point of objective versus subjective binging, then that's Hmm. like something I feel like I have to remind myself a lot. What does that mean? Because Objective um, versus subjective. Subjective is like what you described where, you know, it's like it's it's going out, it's it's going overboard and knowing it and anyone outside would realize like, yes, this, this is the, the case where just feeling like I felt kind of out of control. It wasn't necessarily, yeah. you know, like I ate the whole kitchen, but... You know, that's subjective. Sometimes it's more ob- it's more objective, at least. I, I feel hesitant to label things like objective, but yeah, sometimes it's obvious. Like, since I've learned that, it's kind of a reminder sometimes where I'm like, oh, that was objective versus subjective, which, like we were just saying, means maybe my body just needed it. <laughs> yeah, and that that's what I was trying to say is that it's not the food itself I'm uncomfortable with right now. It's like the the mental effects of it. Yeah. Like I know that it mm-hmm. wasn't a huge amount of food. Like that that's not important. It's just the fact that I let it get out of control and like I'm I'm feeling as though I did go out and buy a ton of food and like you know, the dopamine hit is still there. It's a small one, but like yes. my tolerance is low now. So like that small <laughs> You know, like I love that. <laughs> I mean, I have a low binge tolerance now, dude. That's a thing, though. I mean, literally, mm-hmm. you, we know that when you're bulimic, when you engage in binging and purging regularly, your stomach literally will like expand in size, and so it takes more yeah. food to feel like you've binged. At least for me. So like now, my stomach has gotten down to like a normal size. Like I'll, I'll be satisfied with less <laughs> food these days. So like when I do eat like a little more than normal, I feel like I binged, and it's that same effect. And it's it's unknown yeah. territory for me, and I'm navigating it, and it's uncomfortable. But I don't know. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Okay, okay. Overall. <laughs> what about you? And, Where are you well, at? Um, at? At least some of what you said, I feel like goes in nicely with my topic. And some of what I am thinking will as well. Okay. Um, first of all, I had a kind of rough week in a weird way. Um, not in a mental way as much. Well, I guess, bleh, as usual, I'm just over-explaining myself first. Start, start from the so, beginning. Yes, yes. So, sometime last weekend, I don't remember if it was Friday or Saturday night, I have a medication that I take in the morning and one that I take at night. You know, I've been seeing a psychiatrist. We've been playing with the dosages. I feel like not, it's for depression. I feel like nothing has really like had any effect that I can tell. So, the one that I take at night... I was already in bed and I realized, you know, like I haven't taken it yet. And it, it told me how just totally over it and how I'm feeling nothing and no point to continuing on this medication. And that when I realized that, 
I was like, you know what? The effort for me to get up, get the pill out and get a glass of water and swallow it is actually more effort than what I feel this is actually doing for me. So I'm just not going to take it. And after that, then I just, you know, felt like, again, it wasn't doing anything. And I already, you know, didn't take it last night and didn't take it the next night. So I'm just like, I guess I'm done. Could it be that the depression symptoms are keeping you from taking the depression medication? <laughs> like just the not caring about anything or feeling like anything's going to help or not like the lack of you're, energy. It just sounds like you are, you are touching on my topic so hard. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so, I'm so good. Put, put a pin in that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> putting a pin in that. Continue. But, but I, yeah, I was just going to say that like I, I looked up because I've gotten myself off medications I don't feel like are helping before, but I've never really just like, boom, like cut it off like that. So I did like look up because I was a little afraid, like, okay, how's the, what's that going to do to me? Yeah, disclaimer, if you ever do this, which we're neither encouraging nor no, tell, like we're, no. we're not encouraging you to do this, but like look up, <laughs> look up what it's going to do to you. Do your research. Yeah. And the fact that I saw things saying, you know, like there really isn't much of a withdrawal if you stop and also knowing that I did have a psychiatrist appointment coming up this week, then, you know, then I figured like, okay, I'll just continue with that. And, and when I did talk to her, you know, I explained where I was at and, you know, we had this nice conversation about what to do when you have treatment resistant depression. So that was kind of not encouraging because I don't like some of the ideas. I don't think you've ever said that phrase on here before, treatment-resistant depression. Well, I, I feel like that's kind of the case, but I'm not sure. It's usually just, like, I've tried a lot of medications and haven't really responded to them, and that's usually when they start to call it that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. Like we sh Maybe that'll be another topic. Yeah, another topic. <laughs> Sorry. Really, the point that I was just making is even though, like, there is consensus that there isn't like major side effects or anything like that. I described at work one, like Monday or Tuesday, you know, I didn't tell them why, but I just said like, oh, you know, like I've just been where you, you feel kind of off. I was just like, I, I felt like I woke up and my brain feels like it's wrapped in a sock. And that's, so that's what, I, Relatable. that's what I felt like for most of the week. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to store that away for future use. It was similar to... You know how sometimes you take a nap in the middle of the day and when you wake up, then yeah, you just feel all like fogged out and weird. Totally. Every time I take Benadryl, that's how I feel. Yeah. So this is how I felt just, you know, like after sleeping like normal and waking up in the morning and being at work and the entire day just feeling like, <laughs> yeah, like your brain's wrapped in a sock. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that, that I feel like might've been coming off of this stuff, but We've got another option to try before we have to talk things like ketamine, which frightens me. Why does that <laughs> frighten you? Um, just anything more invasive. I mean, the, the step above that is they talk like ECT, which scares me more, of course. Yeah, but understandable. <laughs> but yeah, just anything that I don't know much about and is a little kind of like, out of the box is like, okay, do we think this is needed? <laughs> I know a lot of people that have done ketamine treatment for depression. Um, if you're listening, hit me up. Maybe you can come on and talk about it because like, I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah, I've heard a few and I've heard mixed results. So that's yeah. why 
you know, when she said that, I was like, my ears perked up, but also I was like, kind of like, hmm, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm an addict, so of course I'm going to want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're at the, st- you're at a place right now where you're, those are your options pretty much. Yeah. Is that what your therapist told you? She, she's not saying, you know, like it's just this or this at this point, but it's kind of like, I felt like she was initiating the discussion of, we might need to look at some other things for people that don't respond well to meds. It's possible. So what, what's your reaction to that? Um, just going to wait and see, I guess. I've been trying to find a good way to, to lead into this, but I guess this kind of leads into the other part. And I've been holding on to this one for a while that I've been having, you know, the like, the treatment talk with my dietitian and therapist for a while. Yeah, yeah, you've talked about it a few times. And I can't remember if I talked about the the week where I kind of got like swindled into doing an assessment. I don't think you did. Well, yeah, this was maybe like three weeks ago. And that was um, from my therapist and dietitian saying just to reach out to one of the, the treatment centers in the area. And she said like, what, what if you just do, like, I, I had made contact, and I wasn't okay. sure if I was even going to, like, call them back, and she was just saying, like, well, what if you just, like, do the assessment with them? She's like, it's free, you'll know what they think, you know, like, it's nothing off your back, you're not committing to anything, and I was like, well, maybe. So I had called them back and, or had gotten back to them and said, like, oh, you know, like, because they just said, let's do a, I don't know, like a quick phone call just to see like what you're, what you're thinking. It's, it's usually just to talk to you for like five or 10 minutes, just to be like, what are you looking for? And you know, like nothing like a full assessment. And so everything that we were saying suggested that that that's all it was going to be. I was just going to say like, here's my general thoughts on it. This is what providers that I'm seeing think, and this is what I think. And when we scheduled the call for I had even said, because I was just going to be driving home from work talking on the phone, I was like, well, if it's just, you know, going to be like five, 10 minutes, then this is a good time. And so she calls me and we talk a bit and she's like, well, you know, there's just a few questions here that I have to ask you. And I'm just thinking, okay, you know, this gets your baseline or something, but she keeps asking questions and she keeps talking and talking. And when I realized that we've been talking for 45 minutes, I'm like, <gasps> oh, fuck, this is a full assessment, isn't it? Oh my God. <laughs> you tricked me. <laughs> yes. What happened after that? Well, I got the recommendation back from them that they would recommend residential, which yeah. I did not want. We, we, we expected that. Yes. And um, talked to, yeah, talked to my dietitian about it afterwards. Talked about like some of my barriers to like a big one is, and I may have said this here, I have no interest in telling any of my family. They've not been helpful in the past. Yeah. It's. Not that they are, like, cruel about it or anything. They just do things like make it all about them. Things that just, they mean well, but they don't help. (laughs) So. Would um, would they have to know about it? Well, I'm hoping not. But that was after this all happened. Then my dad starts calling me. And I'm missing a couple phone calls. I'm like, that's weird. My dad and I don't really talk a ton. And the fact that he is, you know, just like calling and calling, like I need to apparently get a hold of you. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Oh my God. And, and finally, when I do hear from him, he says, so my parents live about 12 hours away from me, but my dad's mother was born where I live now. 
So a lot of her family is here. Yeah, we talked about this, how we might be cousins, because I have a lot this of family like there. And I might be related. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but the family here also is like involved in like their historical society and things. And they have this like benefit dinner every year. And I'd went to it before. And so this year, my dad decided he wants to pay for me and some friends if I want to go to it again. But he's also coming. So okay. You know, the, the, the first time since I've moved here 12 hours away, my dad is coming to visit. And that's where I was just like, ah, there's no way that I could do any sort of treatment thing until this happens because I can't blow him off on this and I don't want to tell him what I'm doing. So I need to do this first. So that's at the end of March. Okay. So, so it's like three weeks away now. But at the time, that's what I told, you know, my dietitian. I said, hey, I just found this out. There's no way that I would consider anything until after this is done and over. But I realized when I said that, I kind of felt like in that moment, instead of going back and forth, like I have been like, eh, I don't really want to do this. I don't think I really need to. I felt like telling her that, that I literally just like committed to afterwards that I'm going to go ahead and do it. So, so that's so, the plan. You're, you, you committed to it? Yes. Oh, my God. That's it. I mean, I, I, mean I, I almost said that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like not, not still completely committed because I do feel right now like about 25% of the time, you know, I still have time. So I still think like, you know, you don't actually have to. You still can back out. But it felt more, I don't know, like legit. Um, oh, actually... I did want to read this. I had a conversation yesterday with, with Vicky, like a good like text conversation about all of this kind of stuff. Shout out Vicky. Yes. And she's been through this kind of thing too. And I asked her like one of the comments, if I could read it verbatim here, because it just, it ex- explains so perfectly, like some of the crap going on in my head. Yeah. And she said, um, honestly, I, I hated that period leading up to a planned admission. My head was always a mess. Part of me knew it was necessary, but the other part resisted, and the other other part was always wondering what would be different about this time and already thinking about how I'd fuck it up. I mean, honestly, that's depression. It tells you that you're going to fail before you even start, and that keeps you from doing a lot of things. And just, you know, like something that you've done, it's not my my first rodeo or whatever. No, no. Yeah, it's just feeling like... Is this just going to be, you start, I don't know, spiraling, like, is this going to be my life? Am I just going to keep, like, repeating this over and over, like, Groundhog's Day treatment? Well, the thing is, like, if it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. What do you have to lose by trying? You know, what if this time is different? So my topic, with, with that in mind, and thinking of you, like, realizing you needed your mental health day, is barriers... Barriers that we set up to helping ourselves and helping our mental health. I wanted to make it different. Like when I first thought of it, I was like, did we just have this conversation? But I, the similar one I was thinking was procrastination. When you said that you were talking about going to treatment three weeks ago, I was looking up which episode we did three weeks ago, and it was the procrastination episode. And I think you did tease at this conversation in that episode. Yeah. Yes. You said you weren't quite ready to talk about it yet, but that there was something you were mm-hmm. kind of procrastinating on. Well, one reason I know I wasn't ready then is because it was so far in the future, and I feel 
I don't know. I, I, I don't want to be that person that just keeps being like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to do it. No, I'm not. I can't decide. I'm a wavering mess. So I didn't, I didn't, want, to, I didn't want to be a bunch more like back and forth and leading up like maybe. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> so, so barriers. So I was thinking how yours related because continuing to push yourself to work full time when it, or work every day, Monday through Friday, when it was not having a good effect. I would consider that like a barrier to helping your own mental health. I mean, the barrier in that case was my fear of cutting my hours and getting less money. And, you know, Mm -hmm. what would my coworkers think? What would my boss think? What would my parents think? You know, opinions of people that at the end of the day don't have to live in my head. And so I really had to remind myself that no one is going to give as much of a shit about me as me and like no one else at this point in my life. I'm 30 years old. I'm a grown ass adult. Like I I need to take care of myself and my needs. Like I would wake up every morning and just feel this pit of dread in my stomach and it would just continue Mm -hmm. throughout the day. And then at, at night I would be like lying on the couch in this office trying to relax and I just had a million thoughts running through my head of like... Just all the things that I should be doing, but I just couldn't because I had this anxiety and depression. Sure. You know, depression was a big part of it, too. Yeah. But yeah, that was a barrier is just like the fear. Like I knew what I had to do, but there was the fear of what would happen if if I did it. And I mean, so far it's good, but I had to just kind of overcome that barrier of defying convention, if you will. Because that is a big one. I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that it's kind of like, well, everybody else can, you know, go to work five days a week. So I should be able to as well. But, you know, everyone else is not you. They're not living in your head. So yeah, I I discovered the term neurodivergent relatively recently. Like I've been doing a mental health podcast for four years. And I I only recently (laughs) discovered this term. And it's been really validating. Like I've been doing a lot of self validation work in the last few Mm -hmm. weeks, this week in particular. And like I said, I don't have the best toolkit. And so I have all these feelings coming up, but I don't really know how to deal with them. And I think I still put up a barrier to these, this flood of feelings. It's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm strong enough to like handle the onslaught of emotion at this point. Like, Mm -hmm. do you ever put up barriers? I mean, I know you do (laughs) to your own emotions. I never do. I mean, I feel like I should be the same sort of person that I see everybody else being. And so, yeah, so I just kind of like shut it off that it's just like, well, you know what, you you don't get to feel this way. Because if you do, then you're going to need time to fall apart. And you don't have that time. So just don't have those feelings. (laughs) Yeah, I watched a really good TED Talk this week. And um, TED Talks and like stupid shit like that (laughs) have been one (laughs) thing in my cheap toolkit, you know, motivational Mm -hmm. stuff like that kind of helps boost my mood when I'm feeling low and like no one can relate. But I watched this one called Why Some of Us Don't Have One True Calling. Speaking of societal barriers that we face as neurodivergent people. So this TED Talk is by Emily Wapnick and basically just talking about how Like one of the first questions you're asked as a kid is, what do you want to be when you grow up? And growing up, you're kind of forced without realizing it to channel all of your energy and your interests and your passion like into one 
thing but a lot of us just aren't wired that way and that's what this TED talk was talking about is like breaking down those barriers of society that tell you you need to be one thing or follow this one path and realizing like you can utilize all of your skills and the term that she used in the talk was uh multi-potentialite that's like what you (laughs) yeah I know like uh and so I thought that was that was really cool uh, maybe listeners can relate. If if you want to watch that TED Talk, I highly recommend. Yeah, I definitely, when you started talking about that, was thinking about how um, at least, and I have since learned that apparently not every like school and graduating class is quite as hardcore about this as mine was. But um, high school was too long ago, so I don't know where this was. I don't know if this was in a graduation thing or something, but there was... I remember seeing something from my graduating class where it described everybody's plans for the next year. Uh. And I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have a huge school, but you know, there's probably 150 kids in my grade. So that's a lot to say that out of them, only two of the people's little blurbs did not include what college they were going to next year. Yikes. So like 148 out of 150 were expected to go right to college. What? year did you graduate? Uh, 97. Do you think that it's gotten better or worse since then? Like the expectation on kids? Because neither of my sisters who are college age now did the traditional college path. Like I have one sister who's 21, who's 22, and neither of them did that. And it's pretty, it seems pretty normal in their friend group. I don't think it's necessarily even age. Like I felt then like it because other other kids graduating when I did from different schools didn't have those same kind of feelings about their their class. I felt like it was my town and my school specifically. They were very just like this is what you do afterwards. Where what are you going to study? What are you going to major in? Where are you yeah. going to college? Because that's just what you do. You don't have other options. What? <laughs> exactly. It's so toxic. Yeah, and I mean I changed majors so many times. I went same I went to a different school for like three days before realizing that my plan at that school, it was like a very specific one. So if I didn't major in something, you know, relating to that school, then I had to not go to that school anymore. So yeah, I only went for three days because I went realized like, oh, this was the wrong idea. I got to get out of here. So in that story, what kind of barriers would you say that you were personally up against? Um, I, I feel just like the, the expectations and the just kind of like, very limiting, like no one even considered the idea of, wow, I really have no clue what I want to do with the rest of my life. So maybe I shouldn't just automatically ship myself off to schools that cost a shit ton of money. Maybe I should, you know, do something where I can self-reflect and think about it. And yeah, some barriers are made to be broken. But when you're you're young, and you don't have a lot of experience, like I graduated in a class of 13. I was homeschooled my entire mm-hmm. life, except for my senior year. And then I graduated with 12 other students. And so I was very unprepared for the world. And I didn't know that you could even break barriers. You know, I thought the barriers yeah. were there to protect you and to keep, you know, society in order. And all this shit that, you know, my my parents had told me. But once I started kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit, and yes, sometimes it takes going to multiple schools and having multiple majors and making a lot of bad decisions before you realize, maybe I was never meant to fit this mold in the first place. Like maybe I've been focusing all my energy Mm -hmm. on on the wrong thing. I think you um, will relate to this one. Like in my college experience, 
eventually I felt like I just had to pick a major that I knew I could graduate with. Yeah. You know? It was just kind of like, I, I need to at least like get this like graduation done because I've fucked around so much. And that's where I think back because I'm just kind of like, if I did not feel so pressured to immediately know what I'm doing, immediately go to, to college right after, then I wonder if I would have had a better college experience. Like I would have picked something or just, I don't know, like led myself to a path that made sense and put the right effort and prepared for whatever I want my future to be instead of just like forcing myself, like pushing, like I got to do something. So I get that college degree because that's what you do next. <laughs> yeah. I, I I hope that the newer generations don't struggle with that to the same extent, but I mean, it's definitely an issue. Mm-hmm. What about mental barriers? Like, we talk about barriers that society has that we need to overcome. I'm, what about like, we should talk about eating disorders some more because I feel like it's relevant. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're about to go to fucking treatment. Like, that's a huge deal. I know you just kind of <laughs> dropped it. But like, I feel like we should talk about it some more. And like, what are you mentioned some of the barriers that are keeping you from entertaining the possibility of going one of them was your dad coming like, what are some of the other ones? And are they external? Are they internal? I mean, (laughs) I made a list at one point not too long ago, and I can pull it up really quick, where I I gave my uh, dietician all the reasons why I said I can't. Oh, perfect. Yeah. (laughs) And um, she, she just, I just get a kick out of it because I threw in, like, I I made a list. I numbered it one through five, but then um, three B. (laughs) You have some bullet points. Well, that's what, you know, I, I was, I was listing it all off and I, and I told her, you know, so my, my list I said was number one, leaving my pets, particularly Pico, who I said I would never leave again. And I don't know, you know, like who's going to take care of him and what to do with him. Number yeah. two was telling my parents and my family, I really don't want to do that. Uh, number three was the cost and having my apartment sit empty, which has me really worried. And then number three B, I said that I don't want them to make me fat. (laughs) um, (sighs) Number number four was leaving. Yeah, number four (laughs) was leaving work, and you know, just afraid of like them dealing with it and having to tell them. And number five was telling friends because I've had some rejection from that in the past. But all that to say, like when I when I gave that, then she was like. Why three B? And I was like, well, actually, because I had my one through five list, and then I realized that th- them making me fat was also a concern. I had to figure out where it fit in. <laughs> so I figured I was like, it fits in right about in the middle. And we'll call it three B. I'm just like, okay. But yeah, it's a it's a thing. That word makes me so uncomfortable now, and I think it's because yeah, I still have. I mean, I I do fear the same thing. Like in recovery, that's something that I worry about is gaining weight and having my appearance change. And it's like, I, I hate talking about it because like, I have been trying to read up more about like body positivity and like all the obstacles that, you know, people in larger bodies face and how hurtful like that word is. And it's like, or, mm-hmm. or so, you know, some, some people have reclaimed it. It's like a, subjective to everyone, but I don't know. I I feel like by talking about that fear, it's somehow saying that that's a bad thing objectively, which is not what we mean at all. 
No, and I did actually want to um, talk about that that specific <laughs> phrase a little more because I wanted to say that that yes, I do know, and and the same as you. Like I've I've looked into things, and you know, and I've realized that if a full recovery is possible, I probably will have to put some work into like accepting, you know, a different size. And that doesn't mean it's bad or anything like that. I only said it that way because, you know, I know where I'm at right now. That's where my, you know, just like stubborn, upset, reactive brain just, you know, like it immediately like flashes in, like, I don't want them to make me fat. The huge logical side of me knows that that's not even like the way that I should be phrasing it. That's not even <laughs> like rational, but I know like, yeah, that's where just upset childish brain immediately goes. It's like, don't make me fat. So yeah, that's eating disorders are really mean and illogical. And <sighs> yeah, it, it's hard to talk about and you are in the thick of it. And something else that I feel like, yeah, is, is good to talk about this specifically is with the barriers I was thinking in general, and this would be one case where like one thing you're dealing with actually becomes a barrier to dealing with the other things. I was thinking in particular, um, you know, for a lot of people, depression or anxiety ends up becoming its own barrier. Of holding course. You back from, yeah. They're like the main barriers in some cases. Yeah, and you can be like, I'm ready to get help for this thing that's making my life terrible, but the <laughs> extensive depression is holding me back from doing that. So instead, I'm dealing with two pieces of bullshit. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, I just watched all of the Oceans movies with Brett, <laughs> just for fun. Mm -hmm. Like, and so, so this is why I'm having this, this metaphor in my brain right now. But I'm thinking of a locked up safe. And, you know, in this case, the safe represents, you know, treatment and making yourself healthier, you know, being healthy and happy. Yeah. That's all any of us want at the end of the day. Yeah. Just holding on mm -hmm. to the hope that maybe if we end up crossing this barrier, then maybe we too can be healthy and happy. And so we finally break open the barrier. You know, maybe we have to hire an elite team of <laughs> thieves to help us break <laughs> in. And then yes. there's another vault behind that door and it's like <laughs> fuck you know when am I gonna be healthy and happy now I have to break into this other vault and who knows how many are behind that and you need a break at that yeah, point because like, you're exhausted and I so... just put all my effort yeah into this first one come on <laughs> so yeah sometimes barriers can feel like that especially when you are struggling with depression it's it seems pointless to even try because like I play the victim a lot in my internal dialogue I tell myself that I'm just an unlucky person and that nothing is going to change and that whatever I try to do is going to fail. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I should just lie down and die, essentially. <laughs> just resign myself to my fate, you know, that I'm going to yeah, be a depressed, I understand that feeling malfunctioning yeah. addict and I should just embrace it. But no, like I have to believe mm -hmm. that there's better out there. I know that there it's possible and, you know, you can always go back to the old way of living if it doesn't work out. That has gotten me through yeah. so many barriers, honestly. Yeah. But you have, you've really touched on something I know that, that I have felt a lot as well, because I feel like when the eating disorder behaviors are really bad, then I can cite now, I'm just kind of like, oh, you know, that makes it 
harder for me to concentrate at work. It obviously, it holds me back from any sort of, you know, relationships and socialization and things like that. But I start feeling like, yeah, but, you know, I'm, I'm just such a sad sack that I don't feel like anyone likes me and I'm not going to socialize or build relationships anyway. So if that's the case, why don't I just like stay in my apartment by myself and indulge in whatever Yeah. eating disorder behaviors I want to because either way, I'm just going to sit here alone until I die. <laughs> Yeah, anxiety and depression are such social barriers. And oddly enough, human connection is one of those things that helps when you are anxious and depressed. But it's the one thing that is behind all these barriers. Because like, how do you go out when you're feeling anxious and depressed, you know? And and sure, a lot of these barriers are mental. Like there's other barriers we could talk about, like societal barriers Mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to treatment and to getting help and all this shit. But we do have a lot of mental barriers we need to overcome. And it's not so easy as just recognizing that they're mental barriers. Like mental barriers are real and are just as hard, if not harder, to overcome. If you want to talk about this one, this is something that just came in my little brain when I was thinking of this topic. And I don't necessarily have experience with this, but I felt very likely that you could. It was Okay. just kind of like a hyper... Hypothetical situation I thought of because as, as you know, and as many people know, there is a lot of substance abuse concurrent with eating disorders. Yes. It happens Especially a lot. bulimia, I feel like. Yeah. Just talking to people that I know and drawing from my own experiences, I feel like bulimics often have concurrent Yeah. substance abuse issues. I feel like, I mean, not exclusively, but I do feel, yeah, like the, um, the personality for those two things kind of meshes a lot. So it happens a lot. Totally. So something thinking about that and thinking about barriers and how you might be ready to deal with one problem, but not another. And I was thinking of, you know, getting some sort of like a residential type treatment or something like that. And I just thought of it as interesting that, so if you're someone dealing with both at the same time, you can get help for your substance abuse and not necessarily have to give up the eating disorder. You know, if you say like, I can't give up all my coping skills at once. Yeah. But if you get help for your eating disorder, then just by default, you know, they don't say like, okay, you're going to go through this program. We're going to let you have a few drinks every night because you're not ready to deal with the alcoholism. So I was just curious, like, does that hold you back from one? Like thinking like, I can't give up all my coping mechanisms. Or is it easier to just like throw it at the wall and be like, let's get rid of them all. This is the perfect excuse to talk to tell one of my favorite stories that I've never told on this podcast before. Ooh, Actually, okay. I have two stories. I know that this is a longer episode, but whatever. The last two are shorter. So that's true. Um, okay. <laughs> so when I first went to treatment for my alcohol abuse, I was actively bulimic. And prior to this, I had never been bulimic and like in active addiction at the same time. And it was Mm -hmm. like the worst hell I, I had ever gone through. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I was suicidal. I relapsed on self-harm after like six or seven years. Like it was a really bad time. And 
I don't even know how I ended up going. Like, I don't know how I summoned the willpower to go to, to treatment for my alcoholism. Like, I kind of, like you were saying, I got, I feel like I got swindled into it. And I've told that story yeah. <laughs> before, but I ended up there. And I've never said this before, but I was actively purging the entire time I okay. was in treatment for my alcoholism. And I told them that I was bulimic from the get go. Oh, wow. Uh I told and that's why I was in like the ER for 12 hours because they were scrambling to find a treatment center that would take me as a bulimic. Mm -hmm. But after all that, no one checked on me. We had private rooms. And so I I was able to get away with it. And I I think about that now. And it's kind of funny to me, but also it's kind of alarming. (laughs) Um, but I don't, (laughs) I don't blame myself for that because at the time, all I had was like, I couldn't give up both at once. It was just too much. Like I was deep in the trauma of it. Like I said, I don't even know how I managed to get sober and stay sober from alcohol. It's been almost four years at this point. And Mm I, one of my headphones just fell out. Um, (laughs) but anyway, so that happened. And then when I went to treatment in 2021, in January, mm-hmm. uh, I was sober from alcohol, but I was in residential treatment for my bulimia. And I knew I would be going weeks in advance, just like you. And yeah. I was going through all those feelings that you were talking about, just like second guessing my decision. And, you know, my bulimia got worse. And, you know, my substance abuse got worse in the weeks leading up to it, because I felt like I had to get it out of my system. I was abusing a lot of like, over the counter meds, like DXM, it's like the stuff that's in cough syrup, it can make you trip. And like, I was using that a lot. And when I went to residential treatment, of course, I couldn't use it. Right. (laughs) But when I went when I got out of residential, and I went to PHP, I started using it again. And I started going to eating disorder treatment high on DXM. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, And I never told anybody about this before. I mean, I knew about the the usage before, because I, you know, was privy to a more private side. And I remember that. And I was thinking that too, that it was kind of, like you said, it was just kind of like, I got to get it out now. <laughs> yeah. And I've written an essay about it before. It's like, it's somehow you're trying to feel valid. Like at the end of the day, I felt that by stripping myself of all of my addictions, you know, bulimia, mm-hmm. and the, the drugs, like whatever, I would somehow become invalid Because, you know, when you've had this stuff as long as we have, it becomes your identity. And without it, you're just like, fuck, what do I, who am I? And how do I fucking control the thoughts in my brain without these coping mechanisms? So I'll tell my story now, (laughs) because you're making me think of the the first time that I ever did any um, residential treatment. I mean, for one thing, it puts some fears to rest because I do think that, I don't have, you know, any like alcoholism, but I do think I abuse alcohol sometimes to just kind of as a way of dealing with other things. So I totally I had worried because, you know, I pretty much would would drink every night and I was thinking like, oh, my God, is this like another problem that I have? So it actually it was a relief when I went to treatment and therefore could not. And I did not even like think about until like two and a half months in, I was like, oh, you know what? I haven't had a drink this entire time because I've been here and I didn't even think about it. So yeah. that's good. They let, they let <laughs> you vape tough. in treatment, at least. I, I think vaping saved Sometimes. my life. 
Well, yeah, if you're a green level yeah. at my, anyway. I'd, I went to one where they wouldn't let you have them, so I had to sneak my vapes in my sports bra. <laughs> oh, yeah, you've mentioned that to me before. <laughs> yeah. See, I got scared but, um, because I heard that story, so I didn't even attempt it. And then when I got there, I realized you could have yeah. them, and I was really salty about it, and it's your fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> the, the, the one that I'm considering going to soon does let you vape. You know, that's not the reason I picked it, but at least I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the other point that I was going to say is, you know, my main things is... I was really heavy on um, laxative abuse and, you know, been like really heavily restricting for a long time. And those were my issues. And I had never had an issue with exercising. I hate exercise. I felt like I could never be like an over-exercised person. Really? I didn't know that about you. (laughs) Yeah. But when I went to treatment that first time and they took away everything else, And because, you know, I wasn't on watch for that, it was really easy for me to, like, sneak around and, like, walk for hours at a time when I was looking. Oh, so you suddenly latched onto that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, see, that's a great example of symptom switching. Is that, would that apply to that? Yeah, I felt so. Like, I didn't even think that's something I'd be in danger of. But you took away everything else. And I was like, well, this is here. (laughs) <laughs> but like, why do we do those things? Like, there, I think bringing it all back to barriers, I think, like, there is such a huge mental barrier that keeps us from, like, shedding those coping mechanisms entirely. And, like, how do you get over it? I, at this point, yeah. I don't know if it's possible without professional help. I think that's kind of where we're both at right now. Like, I fucking need therapy, and you're, you're about to go to treatment. Mm-hmm. We're just fucked up people, man. I know. I mean, I'm, I I am so glad that you made that decision, you know, to take your Wednesdays off. But I was thinking too, as I was just kind of like, all right, now how are you going to work on the uh, the next barriers? Well, that's because- the point. I, I now I have space to do that, and mm-hmm. um, you know, you can hold me to it. Uh, you collectively, okay. <laughs> not. I'm not putting all this pressure on Lauren. I'm. I, I did get a dental savings plan, so I can go to the dentist. Ooh, okay. Good. Good. You know, I'm patting myself on the back for that. Uh, that's one, yeah. That was a barrier that I, like, for some reason, going to the dentist was such a barrier for me, even though I've gone before and I've been very open about my bulimia and mm-hmm. I've never had a bad experience, but for some reason, it, I just built that barrier up in my mind. But, you know, I was like, you're you just, you need to do it. Like, you're an adult. You yeah. can make a dentist appointment. And yeah. <laughs> that doesn't often, that kind of approach doesn't often work for me, but this time it did, so... No, and, and I am always terrified of going to the dentist, even though, yeah, I've also never had really a bad experience, but that's a tough one. I get it. <laughs> um, we're at the hour mark now. How would you like to wrap up this episode? I feel like we've talked a lot about our own experiences. I feel like we still need to tie up the barrier conversation. I, I was wondering if you had any closing thoughts on that. And then, I don't know, I want to talk about what this news means for the podcast moving forward. Like, we don't really have to get into it now because it's three weeks away. But, you know, what will you going to treatment mean for the podcast? Is that scary um, to talk about? Yeah. Well, yes, but I agree that should probably be something we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> as, as far as the barriers, I think a really important thing that I wanted to make a differentiation good job (laughs) i know (laughs) 10 out of 10 pronunciation skills this 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 is this week's we can't pronounce words (laughs) that's every week but i I felt like the the 
thing that I really wanted to differentiate between, I guess, was the idea of a barrier versus an excuse. Because mm. I feel I feel like saying there is a barrier, like a barrier should not be what you label an excuse. Do you have an example? I, I know what you're talking about. I'm just curious if you have an example from your life. Like, let, let's take that that we said, you know, a really common one is not being able to do the things that you should do to help yourself because you're just kind of like incapacitated by depression. Yeah. And that I think that that is a legit barrier. But on the other hand, if you knew that like maybe you weren't really feeling the the depression holding you back that much, but you were just kind of like using it as like, well, I can't do this because I have depression and that's not letting me, where you kind of like know in the back of your mind, like, no, I would be able to, I just kind of don't want to. And I'm using that as an excuse. I mean, I do that all the time and you don't want to invalidate yourself on one hand. Yeah. I feel like don't, I'm saying just kind of, yeah, like, like don't use something like that to make an excuse why you can't like put effort or follow through, but also, you know, give yourself grace and recognize your own limits. Yeah. Give yourself grace and recognize your own limits. Like that's true. I I mean, I've talked on the podcast before about feeling like I have a a disability. Like my anxiety has gotten so much worse lately. It feels like a disability because it prevents me from doing things I used to do so easily. And so part of me has been accepting that and recognizing the validity of it. But also, I think part of me is secretly delighted at the prospect of a new excuse that I can use. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I I don't feel like going to this event that I told you I would go to weeks ago because my anxiety is flaring up. And it's like, but also I can gaslight myself into thinking, oh, you're just using it as an excuse. You could really go around and around this merry-go-round of terminology. Yeah. It's so interesting because I was thinking of that exact same example because on the opposite side, I've dealt with a lot of anxiety in the past and I feel like I've gotten better with it and have a much better handle on it. So now I feel for me at at some point, you know, I, I had to kind of be nice to myself and realize like, don't beat yourself up if you can't do something because of legit anxiety. But I did that and now it's not so much a a problem, but I feel like I've, gotten to latch on to that. So now I do feel like on the opposite side, I can be like, well, I don't want to go. It's probably anxiety. So I get to say, (laughs) I don't want to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. Sometimes it lies dormant for a while and you forget that you, you have it. So when it pops up, you're like, oh, hey, this again. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm trying to say. Basically just that barriers and excuses are confusing and we don't have an answer for you. (laughs) We never have an answer. But if you can relate, let us know. Yeah. Yeah, we we love talking to you. And what things do you find that that you feel like are barriers to dealing with other things? Yeah, maybe we should do next week's pickle poll on this. Or something related. Yeah, we'll think about it. Look look out for it. If If we do get around to updating the social media on a regular basis again. What? (laughs) Um, so you're going to treatment in three weeks? Possibly. I mean, I don't want to set a date right now until I have a date, but yeah, it it seems like sometime within the next month. Yes. Yeah. So the podcast will be a little, a little different. We'll talk about it more, I guess, as, as the day approaches, but we'll still be here. 
you know, it might just be me for a while. Lauren might have to call in. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I don't want you to, to feel like you're you're forcing anything because specifically I want as soon as I have a chance, like even if we if I'm still doing residential and I have like a pass where I can sneak away and we can record, I would be down for that because I feel like having some episodes while one of us is literally in the middle of it is kind of a good thing. I mean, I know you've done that, right? I've you've- totally done that. Yeah. I, I recorded a little bit in treatment. I had recorded some episodes prior to treatment that I was able to release mm-hmm. while I was there. But um, and then, you know, yeah. the Bulimia Diaries episode, which is just a collection of my audio journals. I made that one in treatment because I had a lot of time to go through my audio journals. I made a lot of audio journals in treatment. I mean, if anything, you could record some of those and send them to, them to me and <laughs> we can play them. Yeah. But I just want to say, you know, before we wrap up, I'm really proud of you. And I don't want you to worry about the podcast at all. Like, we all, I mean, the listeners feel the same way, I'm sure. Like, we don't feel abandoned by you. You just need to focus on yourself, is what I'm saying. Like, this is for you. If if I want to be involved and I I want to do something, you know, while I'm still in the middle of going through it, I didn't want you to think that it's like, I feel pressured and like, I have to or anything. Like, I literally just, I, I want that experience. Good. So, yeah, you, you, we understand each other. From. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're pretty good at doing this. We're still learning. I take yeah. it back, actually. We're not really good at doing this. <laughs> no, but we try. <laughs> um, follow us on Instagram at Pickles and Vodka Podcast. And we'll post polls and stuff. You can talk to us on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you have a story, you want to email us, maybe a voicemail. You can message it mm-hmm. to us on Instagram, or you can email us at picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, the Twitter's kind of dead. Yeah, I was trying to keep it up, and then, you know what, like, Elon Musk bought Twitter, and I thought that it was just <laughs> all going to, like, implode on itself, so. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is kind of, a, um, you know, non-existent right now, but no one cares. Um, follow me. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to follow me, my personal account is at Jumper. And my Instagram that I talk on is at Pico Suave, S-A-U-V-E. And we'll see you next week. I, I don't got anything yeah. else. We, we need an outro of some kind. We do. Other than just me going, bye. Bye. <laughs> uh, but that's it. Bye, guys. We'll see you next week. Yeah, for real. Bye. <laughs>